some of those artists they have spent like decades learning through trial and error. So if you can learn uh, just a little bit uh, from their work, just by looking at their work, you would have saved like a lot of time. Hello and welcome to the Sneaky Art Podcast. I'm your host, Nishant Jain, and this is a podcast where I have conversations with people who draw or paint their worlds from observation. This is a valuable habit in today's world, whether you're a full-time artist or just a hobbyist. Picture it as setting up a positive visual feedback loop inside your mind, something that makes you better able to appreciate your environment to find beauty in everyday things, and to inculcate a therapeutic activity into our otherwise fast-paced, low-attention lifestyles. In this episode, I speak with Theo Yichi, an urban sketcher and YouTuber based in Singapore. Theo's work is fascinating because of how many subjects he covers and the clarity with which he speaks about them. On his YouTube channel, for example, he does art tutorials, reviews of art supplies, and talks about the different places that he finds inspiration. His videos are for everyone, whether you are skilled or unskilled, talented or quote-unquote untalented. As we discuss, the act of drawing or painting is not about skill or talent, no matter how important you might think either one of those words is. It's really about finding joy and exploring the rich minds of our own creativity. His YouTube channel attracts thousands of subscribers and is always the first art-related channel that I recommend to people. There's so much to learn, and every time I visit his channel, I find new and wonderful things. Theo is the very definition of prolific in his work. One big reason for speaking with Theo is the fast-emerging creator economy. This is a setup in which content creators and fans are able to connect directly with each other without the interference of traditional gatekeepers like media institutions, creative agencies, publishing houses, or art schools. Today, just like you're able to choose between Netflix and Amazon Prime, you can choose to directly support the creators whose work you value. And in turn, Creators are able to connect with their fan base, get direct feedback and generous support for their work, while also creating work that aligns more closely with the interests of their supporters and themselves. Both sides benefit from this very real two-way relationship. But if you're an artist, to thrive in the creator economy is not exactly straightforward. You have to be more than just a good artist. You have to make good art, but consistently, over a long period of time. Over this long period of time, your art has to connect with lots of people around the world. It has to connect with them in deep and meaningful ways. Your work should impact and improve their lives. And sometimes that isn't just about the quality of the art or the artist. It's about the different ways that you, as a creator, package and share your work. It's about the different ways that you speak about it and therefore the different ways you invite other people to engage with it. Engagement, access and communication are key features of the creator economy. 
Some of these are roles that in the traditional economy were done by people other than the artist. They were brand managers, social media consultants, marketing experts, and institutions in your field, whether a publishing house, a fine art gallery, or a creative agency. In the creator economy, with the great freedom of connecting directly with one's audience, comes the great responsibility of taking upon these jobs yourself, or at least being very closely involved with the execution of them. You are your own brand manager. This is what Theo does across his social media. You can see his urban sketches and his other art on Instagram. You can read his thoughts and experiences on his blog. And you can watch his excellent videos on YouTube. Links for all of these are in the show notes, by the way. And if you're really serious about learning from Theo and supporting his work, he even has a wonderful Patreon page with an impressive fan base. In this episode, I wanted to understand how he came to do all of these things so well. And my motivation is also partly selfish. I need to understand and do these different things myself. I have ambitious plans for this podcast and for Sneaky Art this year, both of which require me to build a similarly symbiotic relationship with my audience. That brings me to my Buy Me A Coffee page, where I offer supporters different ways to endorse my work, to connect with me, and to follow along in my journey of self-education. For this episode, I want to thank the following supporters who bought me coffee this month. Missy, Ron, Molly, Zenab, Jim, Kathy, and Shellish. I also want to thank the members who support my work every month. You are fast becoming a very long list, but let me do this quickly. Thank you, Vinayakam, Anne, Mark, Russ, Sanket, Santosh, Dinah, Mark, Etienne, Becky, Ruth, Melanie, Emma, Martha, Ellen, Megan, and Ashley. Your support helps me continue my work as an independent artist and podcaster. If you enjoy my work, consider joining this first wave of supporters. And to join, all you have to do is buy me one cup of coffee every month. It's just that easy. So if you're interested in seeing what this is all about, follow the link in the show notes to see my Buy Me A Coffee page. Coming back to this conversation with Theo, I try to understand the fuel that powers his prolific work. And I'm delighted to find that from doing so many things, Theo has a lot of useful ideas and practical advice. So once we really get into it, I suggest you take notes. Happy listening. Good morning, Theo. Uh, welcome to the Sneaky Art Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. Welcome. Good morning. <laughs> uh, I have been following your YouTube channel and your Instagram for many months now. And I am absolutely a big fan of your YouTube channel. I wanted to tell you that because uh, very often, you know, channels that try to teach you something, they instead push me away. Like I get a little uh, turned off of channels that are trying to specifically teach me things. But something about the way that you conduct your videos, it's very appealing to me. And I love listening to you talk. And I love going to, like, I listen to your videos in full, which is something I very rarely do on YouTube. So I'm very surprised about it. And 
those are some of the things that I hope to be able to speak with you about and understand how you do the things you do. So just to get me started, uh, I would love to hear about how you developed and what kind of things developed an interest in art for you. Were you always drawing from a young age? What kind of art did you see around you? What kind of art inspired you? And how did that evolve over time? I guess I was interested in art at a very young age. Uh, it's mostly through the influence of comic books and animation, more specifically Japanese animation. So when I was young, I read comics like Dragon Ball and Slam Dunk, which were very popular comics back then and even now because now they are still doing uh, reprints for those comics and for Dragon Ball, they are still expanding the universe. Um, and also I watch a lot of Japanese animation. So all this were hand-drawn and that got me really interested in art. So sometimes I would actually just uh, redraw some of the drawings, the comics that I see from those comic books. So that's, I guess, is where I got my interest in uh, making art. All right. And uh, so uh, what kind of things did you draw over the years? Like you, my, uh, did, when you, if you started with anime and cartoons, uh, when, when did you then start to see other art around you? How did this interest in uh, observational drawing come in? Most of the things I draw back then when I was a kid were just actually uh, redrawings of comics, like comic characters, Um it's mostly characters, if I remember correctly. It's only after I joined Urban Sketches Singapore or Urban Sketches that I started to draw more scenes, uh, landscapes, urban scenes, uh, and things like that. Yeah. So before that, it's really just copying uh, comics, comic characters. Yeah. Uh, when I was in school, we uh, we didn't have access to see Dragon Ball uh, Z cartoons or anything. I didn't even know it was a cartoon. The only thing I knew was that uh, it was this design we used to get on pencil boxes, which would have Dragon Ball Z on it. And that's the only thing I knew about Dragon Ball Z. And I loved looking at the pencil boxes and sometimes school bags would have it. And I would draw those. I would copy those drawings just on the pencil on the top of my pencil box. Just to, and it was, it, it immediately struck me as such a unique, different thing. Like when I was growing up in India, we didn't really see Japanese cartoons at that time. But whatever little bit I saw through, you know, school bags and pencil boxes, it immediately opened my mind to how much dynamism there was in them. So much was happening. There was so much action. There was so much expression. And now I think, that's such a great way to learn how to draw, even if you are just redrawing something. But you're redrawing such interesting and active poses. Yeah, I think with Japanese comics, they do have a lot more variety. And you can actually learn a lot because Japanese manga, they have been around for a very long time and they have... They actually have a huge industry within Japan themselves. So they have a lot of artists. They have production houses, studios. And when you look at their comics, unlike Western comics where you see graphic novels and comics, superhero comics, which are quite popular, and you see a lot of colored comics, with Japanese comics, they are usually in just black and white comic uh, comic drawings. So it's just drawn with black ink. 
they have colored pages, but only a few colored pages. And they have serialized comics, as in comic selected pages of comics will go into magazines that are published either weekly, bi-weekly, or monthly. And the subject matter that they have, it's um, they have as many genres as movie genres. So they have a huge variety, yeah. And the artists, Japanese artists, they are always innovating. So you can find a lot of style. Uh, techniques to drawing just by looking at their comics so you can actually learn a lot just by reading not just the story but also looking at the art that they create and even now Japanese comics are still quite big and there is still a lot to learn uh, from yeah what were some of these uh, other early comics that you used to like other than just even drawing what were the ones that you enjoyed reading what kind of stories were they wow um, I used to read Oh, well, um, I cannot really remember many of the titles or if I can remember the titles, it would be, I'm not sure if the readers or listeners can remember the titles, but the more popular ones would be Slam Dunk, uh, which is a basketball comic, which has really good storytelling and also talks about basketball. So you get to learn like really what basketball is about. Slam Dunk has been reprinted several times and each time they reprint, they would actually do like a huge marketing campaign for the reprints. So you can see like Slam Dunk posters at train stations in Japan, for example. So Japan is actually very huge on reprinting comics. Uh, I also follow a lot of Chinese comics like uh, Chinese Kung Fu comics. Uh, yeah, Chinese Kung Fu comics written by this author called Louis Cha, who is a very Chinese uh, sorry, who is a very popular Chinese author, and he authored many books that are are relating to the Chinese Kung Fu, and his storylines are very. It's the stories are very amazing. He, I would say, is comparable to who's the guy who wrote a lot of the Rings. <laughs> Uh, J.R.R. Tolkien. Yeah, Tolkien, yeah. But I think his stories are even more epic compared to Tolkien's stories, as in they are easier to understand. It's not as long. Yeah. So I read a lot of Chinese comics. As for other comics, I really cannot remember much. <laughs> yeah. But I like some of the comics because they are short. Some of the stories can be... Some of the titles can be short, like a book can, sorry, a title can complete within 10 books, 20 books or 30 books. But some of the titles that we see nowadays, the popular titles like um, Naruto, for example, can go on for a long time or One Piece and other titles, they can go on for too long. But I don't really like those uh, titles because they go on for like just way too long. Sometimes a good short, sometimes a good story is one where when you finish the story, you should be able to feel like, oh, I need to find out more. I wish there was more story to it. But then the story just ends there. And that is actually the one of the best one of the best stories. Because it makes you want more, but it doesn't give you too much to the point where you don't feel like reading anymore. 
Yeah, that's such a great point. Like the ones that leave you that leave you thirsty at the end that I wish there was a little and those are the spots you can sort of fill with your imagination then because it could be anything. It's everything is not laid out for you to read and to find out. Some stuff is just left for you to imagine maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like the what's the animation that they are going to remake recently? Uh Avatar the Last Airbender. So with the original Avatar it was released many years ago and people actually liked that uh movie very much and they released Avatar Korra the last eh Korra yeah so that's the second season so in between Avatar and Korra there is this gap that um they didn't make any shows for so that actually left readers or the viewers to wonder what happened during the time that happened between Avatar and Korra because a lot of things actually happened yeah 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 the story just jumps forward i think uh, 20 years or something and a lot of things change and then only through the maybe second season of Korra you start to find out that some uh, about something that happened in Avatar and how that might have resolved like you don't find out the journey but you see the new next point of it Yeah so you see the next point of it so um it's actually quite nostalgic to watch the Korra after you have watched the first Avatar because you can remember what happened back then and you can sort of fill in the blanks as to what happened to the characters that led them to where they are during uh, Korra so that's actually very good storytelling yeah Yeah I agree like I think how Aang's uh son grew up and how he thought about how he thought about uh, like how he thought about his father how he thought about his story all of that was being revealed to us through the story of Korra it wasn't told to us already we didn't already know all the background it was a part of the storyline actually and that was such a fa- very interesting part of the whole Korra experience for me yeah yeah <laughs> When I watched the uh, when I when I watched Korra it was really nostalgic because I remembered the past and that is yeah that's really good. I think not many animation or comics actually do that well. Not that I can think of. Anyway, I don't watch like a lot of comics nowadays. <laughs> the animation that I watch nowadays are usually just movies because they are short, not like those serialized co- uh, animation that can go on for hundreds of episodes. Tell me about your work as a graphic designer. The graphic design that I do um it's actually um how should I say it's not that complicated in the sense that it's mostly dealing with layout and typography. I mean I actually work at a newspaper, a graphic design I'm a graphic designer at a newspaper so it's mostly doing things like layout, typography, uh compositing putting text uh, together with the photographs or artworks so that they look nice so so it's not i mean it can be challenging at times especially if you want to design like really good looking pages or artworks but it's not that challenging that no one can do it so personally i prefer hand drawn art or drawing stuff but with graphic design is actually more at least nowadays it's more on uh, digital graphic design you just draw elements move things around yeah 
so you know i i've always been also interested in this kind of thing and when i was very when i was young that's when suddenly these animation software and 2d as well as 3d animation software started becoming available and i would play around on those i would try my hand at trying to do 2d animation on flash for example and now when i think about uh, the kind of art i make and the things that i do inside sketchbooks because i primarily also draw with pen and ink uh, i wonder about what i've taken from that experience because uh, like i believe that you know everything we do everything we follow everything we enjoy it teaches us something even if it's a very small thing that it adds to the way that i pursue my art today i feel like it adds something so now uh, you you were describing your graphic design work and i'm thinking about this conversation that i had with uh, shari in episode 3 and she used to do a lot of such compositional layout work also and we were talking about how that kind of work can help you when you think about composing even an a page of art how you look at a scene how you place how you think about elements in it uh what you choose to make your subject in the middle what is on the sides do you think there's something that you take from graphic design in this when you work in a sketchbook even mm definitely i mean you i mean with art you can learn from a lot of sources you can learn from books magazines even comics animation movies that you uh watch read or consume and you can also learn a lot from other artists so there is a lot you can learn i mean you can learn the styles you can learn uh techniques on drawing you can learn layout i mean when it comes to colors there is also a lot of learn you can learn color theory how colors work together so as artists you can get inspired by a lot of the uh, sources it's just up to you whether or not you want to uh learn from all these sources expose yourself to more of this uh, variety of content mhm yeah how how do you feel that you have learned uh, things like color theory or compositional layout where where have where do you draw this inspiration from and how does it come into your your pages i guess the main thing i learned from graphic design that i that i translate over to art is Mm. Uh, well, with graphic design, you have to make sure that there is uh, there is the key element, a key subject, and uh, um, elements that are not that important. So primary, so you need to have the viewers look at the main information or main subject first, followed by the less informa- less information or less detailed elements. So that actually is the same with art, creating art. Yeah. So many of the techniques that are used in graphic design are actually used with creating art as well. Or maybe it's the other way around. Many of the techniques that are used to create art are actually used for graphic design because art actually comes like way earlier compared to graphic design. People were painting before there were uh, pages designed. Yeah. That's a good point. Uh, but in the end you could reduce all of it to uh, i like to reduce all of this to information basically right that your primary subject is the main thing that you want to give to somebody and just like if you have a color somewhere on your page which is very bright 
it has to be it is only bright with reference to other colors around it if your whole page is bright colors then that particular color doesn't stand out and in the same way if you have a primary element if it is surrounded by equally important elements all around it it doesn't stand out you again have to compose it in a way that you can bring attention to that element yeah with graphic design there is more emphasis on the flow and presenting information uh because sometimes i mean take for example with um the latest news about the big container ship that got stuck at the swiss canal so there are some infographics created to illustrate the problem like how big that container ship is uh where it stuck um how they actually free the ship and all this has to be if it's printed on paper all this has to has to be illustrated in print so you have to actually tell a story as to how the smaller tugboats uh, or excavator how they actually remove the ship from the canal yeah so the story the flow of the story is more important whereas when it comes to creating art it's there is just an emphasis on different types of thing it's not more it's not really on the story i mean it can be on the story but it's not so much on the uh story aspect because it's i mean with artworks like drawings illustrations they are actually meant to uh they are basically meant as they are just meant to look good <laughs> yeah they're just meant to look good whereas for graphic design you actually have to look good as well as transfer uh information give viewers or readers information yeah so that's the main thing with graphic design you do have to present information uh that's actually the more important thing in a pleasing way that's the secondary uh purpose of graphic design for graphic design work uh designers or artists digital artists they can actually learn a lot or gain a lot just by sketching by drawing so sometimes i would actually go on assignment to um cover some stories for example there was once i went to cover a story on this military ship that was uh, inviting public to go on board the ship the military ship to explore what's around what the capabilities and things like that so i actually went with my sketchbook to cover the story so i drew some of the scenes within the on board of the ship and that actually helped me visualize and also understand uh, more about the ship because when it comes to when you're drawing you can actually take a lot of notes and also when you're drawing you get to remember more because you spend more time with the particular scene that you're drawing so when you write down notes when you draw you can remember more about the scene and then you can then and then you can translate the information onto the page whereas compared to taking photographs which is going to help you save a lot of time um i do take a lot of photographs during that assignment um because with photographs you can capture particular scenes much faster but i still feel like i prefer to sketch more because when you are sketching you can actually talk to people who are around there so you you will, you will be able to remember more of the stories while you are sketching rather than just taking photographs 
I mean, photographs are quick to create, but because they are so quick to create, you won't be able to remember as much compared to you drawing on location. Yeah. At least for my for the work that I do, it's good to sketch as well as take photographs because I mean with sketching you can remember more, but with photographs, you will be able to record more detail. So you can just combine the two to your best to your best advantage. Yeah, you can use the information that you get from the two medium to your best advantage. What are some ways to choose between drawing from reference versus drawing on location? Drawing from reference is good if you uh, draw from reference is good because it's more convenient and also uh, you don't have to be outdoors so that's the convenience part but you actually learn more when you draw on location because you are actually interpreting the scene figuring out what to draw what not to draw but when you are actually drawing from a reference photo, you are actually uh, working with a scene that has already been captured by the camera. I mean, you do still need to consider the composition when you take that particular photo, but after the scene has been recorded uh, in photo, it's fixed. So you won't be able to move around to change the perspective. You cannot change the composition and depending on the camera lens that you are using there can be distortion so vertical lines may not seem vertical they may be slanted if they if those lines are closer to the edge of the photo and the slanted lines are not vertical lines if you are drawing on location the vertical lines will be like totally vertical so these are some of the things that people should take note of when working with reference versus working from a reference photo and also when you're drawing a location your eyes can see more especially in darker areas you will be able to see more details within the shadow areas but with cameras usually the sensor is not sensitive enough to uh, capture so much detail i mean the sensor doesn't have a dynamic range that is as high compared to what your eyes can see yeah so you can actually see more and you can draw more on location the downside to drawing location is well you do have to make time to go out and draw and depending on the weather sometimes it can be quite challenging especially if it's hot or rainy or it's very cold yeah but um I mean, with drawing from reference photo is still considered practice. So the more you draw, the better you will get. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a good point. Um, tell me a little bit about your YouTube channel. How how did it begin? What kind of what kind of videos did you what what kind of uh, idea did you have for it at the beginning? And how has that evolved over time? How has that changed for you? The YouTube channel actually hasn't uh, changed much. I started it um, just by sharing some of the videos that I have made during the sketchbooks or outings that I have with my friends from the Urban Sketches Singapore group. So I would actually post videos like once a month. Yeah, it's about once a month. And sometimes I would actually share reviews for art supplies that we're using. 
And then um, once I started seeing some uh, traction, like there are more views, uh, more subscribers, then I started posting a bit more, uploading, creating more videos and posting a bit more. And during the Urban Sketches Symposium, that's when I actually uh, made like daily videos to cover the event. And after that, um, I saw more subscribers and I decided to maybe like make uh, more videos, maybe make like uh, five videos a week and see where it goes. And I found out that I really enjoyed uh, making those videos, uh, sharing my experience, uh, sharing sketching with other uh, people who are into sketching. So that's what I've been doing so far. Basically, it's just creating art tutorials, reviewing art books and products, and also uh making more sketching videos <laughs> yeah and i love how, how both of these things that over time you have become more frequent with the videos there are hundreds of videos a year and over time also you have slowly expanded the different types of videos that you make so like you mentioned there were uh, initially there were videos covering different events then there were uh, videos of you drawing and painting views of books and also then finally videos that were like lessons for specific tips and techniques. Um, did all of this come from, uh, are all of these categories and all of these videos, are they all coming from your personal interest or do you do some because you feel like, you know, you want to give something for your subscribers or to help the people who follow your work? Oh, um, all these videos that I make are actually things I'm, personally interested in so making all these videos is actually just part of my hobby i just like to um, sketch create art and um, test out art materials i like art books um, check out some gadgets that are related to art so when i am testing the materials or drawing um, I can just put a camera beside to just record what I'm doing. So it's not, um, I wouldn't consider it work. It's actually still part of my hobby. Yeah. Yeah, that's so interesting. Because, you know, sometimes you think that uh, that an artist would prefer to find the tools that they enjoy and then stick to those tools. But I see you trying out so many different things. Does that ever, do you ever, uh, like, I'm wondering what it just feels like to try so many different kinds of tools, to try so many different kinds of markers and pens. Uh, do you still have a core set that you like or do you, do you find yourself also in your practice uh, often changing between different supplies? The primary tools that I use um it's still the the primary set of tools that i use is still the same uh pen ink and watercolor but i would like to try out more medium because when you try more medium i mean each type of material that you use will make you think differently so when you're drawing with a pencil versus drawing with ink it would actually make you think differently uh, with pencil you can draw lines you can use pencils for shading for creating like really uh, detailed pencil sketches portraits with light and shadow and tone so that's the versatility of pencil but when it comes to pen and ink you can create 
you can create tones as well, but you cannot create it in the same way as a pencil. I mean, with pen and ink, you have to create tones with hatching, or you just use black and white uh, with very strong contrast, like Japanese comics, they use hatching as well, as well as strong blacks uh, areas. So when you're using different media, it will make you think differently. Even using watercolor versus using opaque colors like gouache, it will also make you think differently. Like when you're painting watercolor, you value transparency. You can layer colors upon colors. And also if you are using watercolor with pencil or pen and ink, you can have the lines show through beneath. But when you're painting with opaque media, you have to think about what are the colors you have to lay down first and the colors that you have to lay down later so that they appear to be on top. And that uh, will create a very different look compared to using transparent watercolor. Yeah, so yeah, even when you are using markers, you also have to uh, you also have to think differently. Uh, with markers, you can overlay the colors, yes. Um, the advantage of markers is you can work really quickly, so they are great for quick sketches. But you can also create like really detailed uh, drawings or illustrations, like some um, manga artists or comic artists, they actually use Copic markers or other types of water-soluble or alcohol markers to create like really detailed illustrations. But you do have to think differently when it comes to using uh, those markers because they don't perform obviously the same way compared to a painted medium like a watercolor or gouache. Yeah, and that's just for pencil, ink, and markers. Uh, then you, there are other medium like crayons, oil. Um, there are just too many medium to to uh, to test. And another, another thing about testing all these different media is you get to find out whether or not you enjoy using those media. So sometimes I prefer drawing with pen and ink and watercolor. Sometimes I prefer to draw with pencil and watercolor. Sometimes I like to mix watercolor with gouache to get some opaque opacity. Yeah. So through testing different media, you can get to discover uh, what you like and what you don't like. That's such a good point. Like I, I often think that that kind of exploration, putting yourself outside the comfort, outside of your comfort zone, that's how you sometimes find out so much more about yourself. And sometimes the things that we are comfortable using, they are almost like, uh, they're almost like a cage that they keep us uh, drawing the same way. They keep us therefore drawing the same kinds of things because we are comfortable drawing them with this media which does this particular thing. Mm, yeah, and also when you switch to a different media, it not just makes you think differently, it actually forces you to work differently. For example, if you are using pencil with watercolor, pencil or graphite pencil, the lines that it can create is not as dark compared to ink lines, black and white ink. So when you're painting watercolor over pencil lines, your focus will actually be on the watercolor. Uh, but if you are drawing with pen and ink and watercolor, the focus will be, I would say, split between the line art and the watercolor because the contrast that you get with the black ink against white paper, that contrast is very 
very strong. Even without watercolor, you can still get like a really nice drawing, a really nice ink drawing. And when you apply watercolor, you get more information. But with pencil and watercolor, when you apply watercolor over pencil, uh, somehow the colors will take a take center stage will be more in focus so when you're painting with watercolor over pencil the focus is actually on uh, thinking and painting like a watercolor artist you'll focus on using colors how colors work together and how you can paint shapes on uh, designing the scene uh, composition but with pen and ink you can sort of a lot of work is actually done by the line art yeah rather than by the watercolor i usually use pen and ink because it's more convenient uh if i use pencil then it will definitely be a mechanical pencil so that i don't have to sharpen the pencil and yeah because when you're drawing on watercolor paper especially cold press textured watercolor paper you if you're using a if you're using a graphite pencil, a wooden one, you will have to sharpen the pencil very frequently because the pencil will wear down very quickly on the textured paper surface. But if you are drawing with pen and ink, it doesn't really matter what paper surface you are using, especially if the pen has a metal nib. So personally, for me, uh, it's usually pen and ink because I find that to be more convenient. Yeah. Occasionally, I would try pencils just for, well, just for fun. Ever a case that you think that a subject that you're drawing would be better rendered if you did it a watercolor style as opposed to ink and watercolor? Mm, that I am not too sure. Um, there could be certain subjects that are better illustrated with pencil versus uh, with pen and ink. But I think that's real. That really comes down to your personal style and preference because um, you can just, I mean, with a pencil and with pen and ink, you can use them to draw lines. So it's just how different the lines look. Yeah, you can still do the same drawing. It's just the look that is different. Yeah, yeah. Is is there a medium you've used that and even put made videos of that you know that you don't enjoy or maybe it's not close to your natural style of how you want to make art? media or supplies that i don't use much um i get i used to use markers when i started out drawing i had a lot of color markers but then i found out that using markers is actually quite restrictive in the sense that for each color that you want you have to buy like a new marker yeah so it can make you spend like a lot of money very quickly and also markers they tend to use up quite quickly so again you have to like spend money to buy the markers that's when i switched to watercolor which is more versatile so with watercolor you can just get a few colors and you can mix whatever colors that you want i mean even with watercolors you do have like a huge range of colors to choose from but you can actually just settle for some primary colors and mix all the other colors that you need but with markers, you do have to have like a lot more colors. And you don't really learn much about color mixing with markers unless you are doing 
uh, color overlays compared to using watercolor where you are actually mixing the paint and you get to learn more about the colors. I used to enjoy using markers because they are very convenient. You can bring them around very easily, uh, but I don't use markers that often nowadays. Yeah, and so they don't really work great with a certain paper. Actually, they don't. Markers don't work well with most papers. If you are using markers in a sketchbook, you can only draw on one page, and you have to protect. You have to protect the other page from the alcohol ink from bleeding over to the other page. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then that page is wasted. <laughs> the, yeah. You can't use the other side of that page at yeah. all. Yeah, but the thing with markers, it allows you to work fast. So when you're drawing fast, uh, there is this look and style that you cannot replicate when you're drawing slow. So there are some artists who like to draw or paint very fast. And there are some artists who are more meticulous, more careful. They will draw and paint more slowly. You have to find a style that suits you because if you ask one artist who likes to paint very loose, draws very fast to adopt a style that is more careful and meticulous, he's not going to be able to replicate that style. There's just no way because it's not his style. Yeah. So, that's, so that's why it's great to look at as many artists as possible and just learn from them and discover your own style. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 another that's another great point. I was also thinking that with markers, you have to be very deliberate with how you put the color. Uh, firstly, you can't mix very easily. That's true. Maybe you can put uh, values a little more easily by layering them. To some extent, it works, but you have to define the edges exactly. Define where the color goes. Whereas with watercolors, there's an element of uh, like giving up control the it sort of flow especially with cold press paper or hot press paper in fact it just flows on the page a little bit and it does its own thing which you don't always have a fixed idea about yeah you have to use the media uh, you have to use the media or the supplies to their best advantage so with markers it's quick to dry so you can create a very quick sketching style with markers very easily um, that is, I guess, one of the reasons why you can see architects or architectural drawings, they use a lot of markers because um, they need to draw fast, they need to add colors very quickly, and if they don't like the drawing, they can just create a new drawing again, another drawing, and just apply colors over the drawing very quickly. Whereas if you are using other media like watercolor or gouache for architectural drawing, it's not going to work because... Um, those paint media will take time to dry, and it's not great for like quick, um, expressive work like that for ex- for exploring ideas. I mean, you do, you are able to explore ideas, uh, do quick sketches with watercolor, but not as fast compared to using markers and uh, pen and ink and pencil. Yeah, yeah, and I I look at your work and I I see that you know there is a lot of like your line. You, I think you are you would also qualify as a fast sketcher in my opinion because of the way that I watch uh, your line work come on the page. Uh, and I'm wondering then, do you think that you know people who like I draw with pen and ink exclusively, and I do watercolor sometimes, but not very often. And I think that I like pen and ink because of how much control it gives me on the paper. 
like i make the exact line i want to make and once it is there it's there so it can't move anymore so i have to be very very controlled very deliberate and watercolor on the other hand i have to let go <laughs> and it will it will go in one direction if i want it and then i have to wait for it to dry a little bit and i can add another layer and then it will do something else how 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 do do these two things balance for you you know having control and then letting go of control how does that work on the page Mm, again it has it really depends on your personal preference because when it comes to creating ink drawings you can draw like really detailed sketches uh, where you close up all the lines properly where you try to draw as much details as possible um and then you when you color with watercolor you can paint within the lines paint the lines very quickly uh sorry pin within the lines and you will create a look that is very stylized kind of like a coloring book where you see all the colors are with been painted within the shapes so the look is going to be very stylized but if but with watercolor you can also paint outside of the lines in which case you will create a very loose uh look so there are i mean with paint medium there is really no fixed way of painting so you just go with whatever you like it's all about experimenting and finding out what style you like and prefer yeah yeah i i've seen some of your videos about uh reviewing uh digital art products and different kinds of mm-hmm. tablets is is uh digital art something you enjoy making as well i don't actually do a lot of digital illustrations <laughs> uh except for work but most of the time i prefer to um draw with actual traditional media pen ink watercolor paper basically paint media or dry media or ink compared to digital art because i like the tactile experience of creating art i like to see how art uh appears on paper with my digital work it's really mostly graphic design layout and typography but uh with my I work my hobby creating uh, sketches I get to experiment more yeah so it's very different compared to creating digital media with digital uh, it allows you to work fast i mean again you have to use the media to their best advantage with digital you can work fast you can undo very qu- as frequently as you want you can try out different designs without um without fear of destroying everything because you can save different versions of the files so those are the advantages of creating something digitally but when it comes to creating digital art sorry when it comes to creating traditional art you have to be more careful you have to think and plan ahead to visualize how your scene or whatever what you're drawing will work on the page because after you have drawn it especially with uh permanent media like marker pen and watercolor you won't be able to change things even if you are drawing with pencils uh, it doesn't really make sense to actually go and erase uh, all the mistakes all the time so it makes when you're drawing traditionally it makes you be it makes you more careful you really have to think and draw a bit more carefully be but be a bit more be a bit more thoughtful when you're drawing like uh, when i was learning how to draw when i was teaching myself and i was trying all kinds of things 
I would go on YouTube, I would go on Reddit, I would uh, do whatever books would teach me. So I reached this point where like you were describing, I was thinking that, you know, if I keep trying it on paper, I'll destroy the drawing. So I would do only what I was thought that I did well. And then I would reach a point where I was worried that, okay, if I add color to this now, I'll just ruin it. So better not add color. If I add, if I try watercolor, I'm not good with watercolor. So I will ruin my ink work. So better not try watercolor. And then the digital platform, I started drawing on an iPad and that really helped me to, to learn more because I allowed myself to try things and just change the colors. Don't worry about adding too much of blue. You can just change it in one click and you can see how green looks instead or something. And I, I enjoyed that part of the, the iPad experience a lot. And I still make some amount of art on the iPad. But I like your point, what you said about the tactile experience. And that is so, so important. I think that is exactly why I then, after some time, I came back to drawing on paper. Because if you're drawing uh, with, a, with a stylus, everything feels the same. You know, even if you're using a brush, even if you're using a pen, even if the type of thing that you're, uh, the, br- the digital brush you're drawing with is a gel pen or a water brush, it still feels the same because the tactile experience is exactly the same. So the real understanding of what does a brush do? What is the dynamics of watercolor? What is the dynamics of uh, more opaque media than that? That comes only from using the real thing. Uh, in your experience with the YouTube channel and so many people who watch your videos, do you find, uh, how, how do you encourage people to do these things with traditional media to not worry about, you know, ruining the page, so to say? With art, it really comes down to practice. So, I mean, with practice, with learning, with the learning process, you are bound to make mistakes. There are, will be some drawings that are not going to look good. But that's how you improve. You just keep practicing. It's like uh, practicing music. You have to keep playing in order to get better. It's like practicing sport, basketball. You have to keep shooting the ball in order to get better. But the thing with basketball and music is uh, you don't really record uh, your what you are doing. So after the match, after your basketball session, you just sort of remember what you did. And then tomorrow you come back again to practice with music. Some musicians actually record themselves so that they can replay the music to see where they have gone wrong. With art, everything you draw will be on paper so you can look back at what you have done instantly. And that um, can actually help you improve because you can see your mistakes straight away. The more mistakes you make, the more you will learn. Actually, the faster you will learn. And the more you experiment, the more, again, you will learn. So with drawing, there is, it's really about experimentation. People shouldn't be afraid to make mistakes because making mistakes is, uh, actually, you shouldn't be, you shouldn't call those mistakes uh, as mistakes. It's just part of the process. It's about exploring, exploring art. It's not about making mistakes because um, you shouldn't think about mistakes as mistakes. Huh? <laughs> yeah. 
it's 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 actually a very nice point you made because it's about just the attitude difference right like if you think about your drawing as uh, it needing to be perfect or it needing to reach this level that you have in your mind that my drawing has to look as good as this drawing i saw or this comic book that i saw illustrated somewhere or something i saw on tv then you focus on the the ways that it fell short and then i mean the attitude then is that i wasn't successful at it and i didn't do a good job so therefore talking about a shift in attitude in which you are not focusing on the mistakes you made but being able to look at your previous work you can just uh, improve on it in small little ways and find out how you are getting better and better and just enjoy the journey almost right yeah definitely because art art can be professional and art can be casual so for people who pick up art for casual purposes as a hobby just drawing for fun you don't really have to um give yourself these unrealistic expectations i mean just go draw and have fun yeah it's not like it's not like you are meeting some deadline or someone else's expectations it's not like someone is paying you to create art that they like you are creating art that you like so as long as you're happy that's the most important part of it mhm yeah yeah uh and now i'm thinking about uh, some of the other kinds of videos that you make on your youtube channel and i'm thinking about things like uh, like say a product review you know how uh, people are very particular about how they how much they trust uh, like how much they uh, the way that they think about products before they buy them and sometimes when you have a youtube channel that you trust then you really trust them with a lot of these decisions about how do they feel about a particular product have you thought about how you know the nature of reviewing like how do you make sure that you talk about all the important things um i review traditional art supplies as well as digital products so i will review them from what i think people should be interested to find out so for example with um digital products like iPads um or tablets that can be used for drawing i will review them from the perspective of an artist like what is the type of experience you get when you're using the stylus on the tablet what are the type of software the drawing software you can use the experience with the software and also uh, obviously whether or not the product is any good so all that will actually be from my own perspective as an artist yeah and i try to present the review as balanced as possible i try to provide as much information as possible but only relevant information that people who are interested in art will want to find out yeah yeah so um and just watching how you know how how uh, what's the word for it how prolific you are in the number of videos you put out and the the number of different types of things you cover is is there ever a moment where you feel obligated to cover something just because how how do you choose the kind of books that you're going to talk about or the kind of uh, art what art supply you are next going to talk about i would 
actually cover whatever I feel interested in covering. So the type of products that I review nowadays are for traditional media. Uh, that's actually the products that I cover is actually restricted to whether or not I have any space at home to put the products because yeah, some usually I would just buy the product to review. And if I don't have space, I would give the product away. Uh, for example, with sketchbooks, I don't really review sketchbooks that much because, um, first of all, it's very difficult to draw or fill up a sketchbook. I like to like really fill up a sketchbook before I review a sketchbook to let people know exactly how the product, how the sketchbook performs, whether or not it's durable after you put it into the bag and take it out a hundred times, whether or not the paper will turn yellow, will wobble, or the stitching of the book will come off. Is the, is the stitching durable enough? So all these things you actually have to uh, test for a long period of time before you can actually review, especially when it comes to sketchbooks. So I don't review sketchbooks that much for this uh, reasons but for simple products like color pencils crayons or watercolors uh, you can actually review them much faster for tech products like tablets or some of the pen displays or drawing tablets that i review um, all those rely on companies who send their review units to me so i don't actually go and buy them uh yeah so usually it's sponsored by the companies or maybe sometimes i may actually borrow from my friends to review yeah, but for art products, I would actually just buy them on my own. Or some of them are actually sponsored by companies as well. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, another aspect of your online presence that's super interesting to me personally. So I want to talk to you about your Patreon because uh, that's something that so many creators now over the past two years with the rise of the so-called creator economy so many people are now so invested in understanding how they can be independent, how they can uh, get support from people who enjoy their work, people who consume their work, people who take some lessons from it in turn. So uh, a lot of these questions are very personal because I also want to learn from how well you are doing your Patreon. Um, my first question is, uh, what, uh, like, how did you think about what you wanted it to do? how you would reach out to your fans. What was the objective of Patreon in your mind when you started it? Patreon, um, hmm. if I remember correctly, I started Patreon about two years ago. So it was started mostly to provide another avenue of uh, income. Yeah, so that's the primary purpose of starting Patreon. Yeah. So, and also with Patreon, it's also another avenue for people to support you. So some of the, some of your fans or supporters may actually like you so much that they actually want to support you directly. So Patreon is one way they can support you directly. And if you notice on my YouTube channel, I don't run ads for other brands. Um, I don't run ads for like, like those uh, VPN those art tutorial websites. Um, I don't take, I don't get paid to do all those product reviews either for traditional supplies or for digital products. I mean, the product itself is sponsored. Sometimes I have to return. Sometimes I don't have to return, but I don't get paid to um, to create those reviews. So the only way I get paid is actually through, at least from the YouTube channel, is through the ads that are 
running on YouTube as well as through Patreon. So these are actually the two income sources that I get through YouTube. Yeah. So Patreon actually helps a lot because Patreon um, provides you with income that you can use to do things like buy art supplies and art books to uh, check out. And then in return, by buying these art books, you get to help other artists. And also you get to help people who are interested in checking out those art books. When you review art supplies, you are helping other artists who may be interested in finding out how those art supplies actually look or how they actually use, how you can actually use them. The thing is with money that you get from Patreon, you can do a lot of things like uh, you can buy stuff to review. You can go for classes. I mean, for me, I can go outside to do some cafe sketching, uh, yeah, all those need money. So it's very helpful. With money, you can do a lot of stuff. You can create a lot. Of, yeah, you can create a lot more content. But without money, um, you can still create art, obviously. Just that with money, you can create a larger variety of content. So for example, without money, I won't be able to uh, review so many um, art supplies or art books. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Other than this simple act of uh, supporting you and continuing to do the kind of work that you are doing, uh, are, are there any other special privileges that you offer to people who support you on Patreon? On Patreon, I have extra tutorials for those people who want to learn uh, sketching. And also they can contact me directly. They can send me sketches. I can critique their work, give them suggestions on how to improve. So all these um, are so-called features or services that I provide to my patrons. This would be very difficult to provide to my general YouTube audience because it's just like way too big and it's going to take up like way too much time. Yeah. So usually for my patrons, I just create some extra tutorials and sometimes I would do live streaming session where we sketch along. And also if they have any questions, they can ask me directly. Or sometimes people may actually send me some sketches for me to critique and I would create a video tutorial just for that uh, particular piece of work because I feel like um, there will be many people who have the same problem. So I can create a video talking about the problem, how you can solve it, how to draw, and that would actually help a lot more people in addition to helping the person who sent me the sketch. Yeah, that's a that's a great point. Like one person on your Patreon who asks you for something is probably representative of 1,000 other people who are not on your Patreon but have that same kind of questions. Yeah, and one thing people need to know about Patreon is the success of your Patreon page actually depends a lot on how successful you are on other platforms. So... Uh, people cannot, people won't be able to know that you have a patron page unless they know that you exist somewhere else. So, for example, you, if you don't have a large following on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, or on any social media pages, it's very difficult for you to develop an audience uh, following on Patreon. Yeah, it's almost impossible. So, it's not patron first, followed by 
developing your content. It's developing your content, building up your brand and reputation first before you start a patron page. Yeah, there are some patrons who uh, follow me um, because they really want to learn more about sketching and also they want to maybe connect with me or contact me. But there are also... There are also patrons who support me just because they want to support me. They don't actually uh, look out for the rewards because every time I publish uh, video tutorials, I can see only maybe 10 to 20 people watch the tutorials out of the 50 to 100 people who can actually watch those tutorials. Those, so those are the silent patrons who actually just support because they feel like supporting so yeah so not all patrons actually support you because they want something in return some people just want to support you because they just like your work yeah they just happen to like your work and with um, those silent patrons they act their support actually mean a lot because they are support allows me to do whatever i want to do so there is no um, sort of expectations to meet because sometimes when it comes to um creating rewards for your patrons it can be quite stressful so there are creators who have different tiers where different people can support at different tier levels like amounts that they pledge so they have to create rewards for different tiers and they have to do it like monthly or whenever they release any new uh, new updates and it can get quite stressful for some of those uh, patrons which is why some artists they actually don't like to uh, use patron even though it's extra income but then you have to provide something of value you actually have to do extra work uh, to of course uh, do extra work for your patrons yeah but all these things that i'm doing are actually things that i enjoy doing so it's not really considered uh, extra work to me it's just something that i like or enjoy doing yeah yeah, I, but nonetheless, you do put in so much time and effort into it. So nice to see that there is a base within your fans who is willing to support that work and who is willing to support in whatever way that you prefer. And silent patrons, uh, like you mentioned, allow you the freedom to even, you know, without thinking twice to chase your ideas. They simply like your ideas. They simply like what you do naturally and that already is such a nice source of confidence i think yeah yeah and yeah that's that's true <laughs> all right um so i think i think these are the these are the different things that i really wanted to know from you with you um i'm also curious to uh, learn what kind of like how do you what kind of challenges have you set yourself for the coming year what uh, are you trying are there is there any new media that you're very excited about is there a new kind of uh, what what are you trying to learn this year you you teach so many people so much valuable things in such a lovely way on your channel i'm curious to know where do you go to learn things and what are some things you are trying to learn these days mm. I learn mostly by looking at the artworks of other artists, like how I can replicate um, the, the, the way they use a particular medium, especially uh, mixed media. So I'm still exploring mixed media. So usually I just use pen, ink, and watercolor, just these two media. But I would love to like explore more on mixed media, like adding opacity to my work 
just to create a different look because I mean, for example, if you are just drawing with pencil, pencil only has that look, that graphite pencil look, regardless of whether you are drawing lines or doing a portrait drawing, shading, hatching or anything, pencil will have that look. But once you add another media, you can create a very different look, a variety of looks, a variety of styles. And when you add pen and ink, pen and ink again with watercolor, you can create a variety of style. When you add marker, pen and ink and watercolor, again, you can create like a whole different style. When you have transparent watercolor and opaque colors working together, again, you can create different styles. So the more media you use, the variety of uh, the variety, you will be able to learn a lot more just because all these media have their own restriction, their own limitations, and they will force you to think differently and create art differently. So that is exploring different media will actually make you uh, think differently and also be more creative actually. And also when you look at art, the artists, like how they use certain tools, uh, you can also learn from them. You can learn a lot from them. Some of those artists, they have spent like decades uh, perfecting their craft, uh, decades learning through trial and error. So if you can learn uh, just a little bit uh, from their work, just by looking at their work, you would have saved like a lot of time from experimenting on your own yeah so i learned also from looking at how other artists create their work that's the that's the thing about learning you can learn a lot from other artists yeah 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 and that's that's such a lovely thing for us to end this conversation that thank you Theo for joining me this was uh, I learned I learned so much just as I learned from watching you on YouTube I have learned so much from listening to you tell me about your art thank you so much